Hi team! Welcome to Soda Mesa, a podcast from our table to yours. Um, it's me and Alex today. Hey, what's up? Um, today we have a very special guest. Victor Missoni yo, is here. Yo, yo, what's happening? Hey, round of applause, round of applause. Hey, Victor is a very close friend of mine. We did a play together a couple of years ago and I've just adored him ever since so La Havana Madrid yes. if you're the Chicago native you know it's been put on so many times but I think it should be continued to be put on yeah you did such a fabulous job with it um you both no you <laughs> yeah. both did you <laughs> both did give credit where credit is due he's like yes I also love Alex yeah I, I know yeah. I think you both did a great job with it Janvili and I were opening night I know that if she was here she would tell you it was fabulous and since we went opening night they had that puerto rican food there oh, oh yeah me do you remember opening night we had all that oh, uh let me that was i, I was like thank god that, that was from ponce right yes yes oh my god it was god. so good y'all i still mm-hmm. think about it no, no, me I- too. <laughs> I literally was like, damn, I actually haven't eaten that good since, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So we have, to, we have to find a way back to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Okay. So to start off, Victor, please um, tell us who you are. Tell us what you do, how you identify. Bet. Um, well, my name is Victor Masoni. Um, he, him, his pronouns. Um, I am, I am black and Puerto Rican, Afro Latino, to be real specific about it. Um, I'm a Chicago native, an actor, a poet, a dancer, a various amalgamation of art artistries, um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm just you know I'm a young kid from Chicago at the end of it, so. That's an identity within itself, for real. It is, truly. The more you, like, move to big cities, the more you realize how little locals there are within those cities. So it's, like, really cool to be sitting down with someone from Chicago, the real Chicago. Yes. I remember one conversation that we had when we were still in rehearsals for La Havana, Mm -hmm. when you were, like, just talking about, like, friends that you know, and you were just, like, casually talking about how you knew Chance the Rapper when you were, like, a baby little channel uh, before he popped off and i was like wait what, <laughs> what are you talking about he's my, like, like, yeah. my 17 yeah, year old the- self is like crying that you said that those like open mics like we were everyone was at those open mics like you media yca all of those like everybody was there and it was, it's wild to think like if i saw if he if i saw chancer he saw me on the street it wouldn't be like yo vic what's going on he would not recognize me in a you know what i'm yeah. saying but like it's always interesting to be like i yes i sat and i had many conversations with chance he handed me 10 day like his original you know what i'm saying like when he was handing out 10 day at jones when he was suspended it was like that is so I, got, sick. I got one of those it, yeah so grateful for it yeah um so what have you what kind of like experiences um have you had within like the chicago artistic community because i know you've been like so prevalently involved since you were like so young too so like 
yeah, a young that. little hustler. <laughs> no, he really is just so, like so. Victor, <laughs> I I will say this like forever and ever. Victor is one of the most talented people I've ever met, and I appreciated the fact that I just get to know him. Oh, oh I love you, <laughs> Um, I started. What did I? Oh, jeez. Um, my first. Okay, I'll start with the first play I ever did. I was in kindergarten um, at school. And then from there, I I did plays at school, but then I joined um, this hip hop arts organization called Kumba Links. Um, and from then on, I was I joined them when I was about seven or eight. And I started break dancing with them um, and like taking photos. And we did a lot of traveling. Um, but Kumba Links' whole mantra is like doing uh, teaching social justice through hip hop, you know? So like, I'm eight years old, we're, you know, I'm, we're at the protest, but we're not like just chanting, but we're also like putting on dance, we're doing dances, we're speaking poems. Um, and so that was really my introduction to like mm -hmm. Chicago and the unique form of art that we create. Cause you know, there's a lot of cities that do social justice based art, but I don't think anyone I've experienced has ever done it like Chicago in the sense of just like, everyone here knows essentially what the role is, you know, and what their role is. And everyone is also willing to explore something new. Um, and I think being so young entering that and just watching all of my friends and a bunch of mentors that I know and love now um, as adults, you know, it's just like being young. I was like, wow, that's, I've never heard words put together like that. I want to try that. And I'd go home and I'd write something like that. And I'd bring it to Kumba Links the next day. Um, and then I kind of, as the years went on, I was in Kumbalings from when I was seven or eight until I graduated high school. Cause that's kind of, once you graduate high school, you're considered an alumni um, at Kumbalings, but like you can still- Wow, so that's family. Yeah, that's my blood family. Like that's like, I, I, if I could cut my wrist and share blood with them, I would. Like I, we, there's so many different things to do. Like there's dancing, there's photography, there's music production, there's poetry um there's also like they started br bringing in like fashion design and all of that stuff and like they encourage you to just explore every single one you know like really find where your voice is and what you want to do um and so throughout the years i went through dance i went through photography and then uh jacinda jacinda and jaquanda and uh lady soul um are the founders of kumba links they're the three the three women that founded kumba links almost 30 years ago now um and it was um wow. wow yeah they were about my age when they founded it there was like 2021 20, ish and they were just like we need a space for people like us young people young artists to just feel safe um and so we go to Clarendon Park and yeah Jacinda she had told me one day we were just sitting around she's like Victor come on come in and then she just brought me into the room and that's how I got involved with the louder than a bomb slam team with it wasn't a question of do you want to or anything. It was like, no, I've heard you right. You're going to do it, you know? And like, it was just that push that they always just pushed yeah. you to do the best, you know? And that's the most beautiful thing about them. Um, it's just, they always, they take in anybody that comes through the space with just the most grand form of love. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of, I got my start for real with them. Like I cultivated everything I really practice daily with Kumba Links, um, which then 
kind of sorry i'm talking a lot but like it led me to um uh where to lead no no this we want you to have this space yeah like this is why you're here (laughs) thank you um and so it led me to um where'd i go i went to high school at uh westinghouse first but then i thought i was gonna play basketball lied to myself um i went to sen high school my junior and senior year um but that's where my junior year of high school is where i was really introduced to the theatrical world of chicago and like the theater um and I started doing my first professional show, I think. I did my first professional show at 16. Um, it was called How We Got On um, at the Den Theater, which is funny enough, we did La Havana at the Den Theater. Um, and yeah, and so like that was my first professional show ever. Um, and from then on, it was just kind of just like, okay, you're really good at this. Let's put you here. Let's put you here. Let's put you here. Let's put you here. Um, I got my first agent at 17. <laughs> Um, Marisa Pelnessa, love her to death, Pelnessa Talent Agency. Um, and, you know, from then on, it was just kind of just like catapulted into so many different scenes and scenarios. And, um, I really got deeper into film and TV around, uh, 1920. And so now I'm kind of deeper in the trenches of film and TV, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's like a short summary of my artistic journey in the city um it started with social justice at kumba links and it grew from there you know i love it and i mean like that's something that all of us at me latina that are so passionate about is using art to create social justice and working with other programs like kumba links to like build that seed when you're young you know because it's so important for those kids to have some kind of outlet like that and also like everyone can learn something and I think that's a really cool thing I love what you were saying earlier about Chicago being one of those cities because I think it's embedded in the history that social justice and art do coincide I feel like there are many other cities where people are obviously doing art and social justice it's very popular especially nowadays with the media but I think that's part of like Chicago's culture they can't one can't exist without the other really Um, especially in the art scene here, which is really, really awesome because I think that it cultivates people like Kumba Links and Miratinidad and so many of these neighborhoods to have more of these community organizations and places that kids can go to to be a better artist totally. in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. I love you know. it. it's, it's beautiful. It's, yeah, I've met some of my best friends doing this kind of work. You know what I'm saying? And like, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I'm so grateful for it. Hundred percent. That's awesome. Um, so, can you give us a? a I I know because I'm on the end, but um, I'm Victor, not on the end. So get <laughs> get me on the end. Fill me in. Victor is always booked and blessed, <laughs> as we know, and um, he's got some really cool projects yeah. coming out soon. So if you just want to like drop a We're name, roll on the red carpet <laughs> for you. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're working on. You can say, yeah, what you yeah, can of course. say, of course. Super high oh, secret of course, profiles. Of course. Um, <laughs> so I'm currently in the midst of um filming a TV show in Chicago called 61st Street, um, and which is really really exciting. Uh, it's a uh crime drama um about that kind of investigates the corrupt police system in this city which is really really exciting to be a part of um and then 
Um, and that's also like my biggest role on TV ever. So like it's up to date. And so like, it's really exciting for me. Um, hey, yeah. that's awesome. Um, and so then. Don't forget that Chicago Med. Yeah, I was finna say, and then um, I did Chicago Med. We love it. Chicago Med, Med 20, 2019. I did that one. Grateful for that. Um, and then the Come Up, um, which is a pilot that um, my friends and I from high school we created because uh, it was more my friends Justin and Tavion. Uh, they created the pilot together because in high school there was this group called the Come Up Kids. Um, it was a slam poetry team, and so it's kind of loosely based off of that and like how. Um, a lot of mm -hmm. uh, black and brown youth kind of use uh, speak trauma through poems and through art and like what that looks like and what that process looks like to kind of get there, um, which is super duper exciting. And so we filmed that pilot and it's going through, you know, the, the slew of festivals right now. So just, you know, keep that thing in his prayers. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that's really, really exciting. Um, and then what else? Um, I just started rehearsals for um this play called america v 2.1 uh the sad demise and eventual extinction of the american negro by stacy rose um which is a whirlwind of a play very very exciting um we are going to be rehearsing it and then filming it like a movie um which is super super cool um and that yeah it's just like a lot of singing a lot of dancing um just a lot of it's a like an acro emotionally acrobatic play which is super super exciting um and um uh, yeah that's that's aside from me being in freaking school right now you know um i'm on myself i'm on my <laughs> yeah also like wow yeah. how are you doing yeah <laughs> i'm on my summer break i'm heading i just finished my junior year at uic <laughs> Um, which I'm super, super elated about, and I'm just ready to get out. Um, <laughs> you know, so we finished school uh, the last like two months. Yeah, we finished school like what two months before COVID, or no, no two no, months into, into COVID. COVID. So I can only imagine for everyone out there doing Zoom school, you are braver than me. Congratulations yeah. to y'all, <laughs> by the way. Big congrats to y'all. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Of course, of course. <laughs> thank you. So, uh, you know, throughout that whole thing, like graduating in 2020, it was so funny because like there couldn't be any graduations or, you know, you know the tea. Y'all were there. <laughs> um, and my mom was trying to make me feel better. <laughs> she was like, Michelle Obama congratulated the class of 2020. <laughs> Not every class can say that. I was like, thank you, mom. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Thanks, you're right. mom. Yeah, I appreciate you're right, it. You know? Thank you, Michelle Obama. Right. <laughs> They're always doing that. They're, she's just trying to look out for you. That's what yeah, moms do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. It's like, I still got um, to go through it. Okay, next question. Yeah. Um, Victor, do you speak Spanish? I do and don't. It's one of those things <laughs> where it's like, if you throw me in an environment where a bunch of people are speaking the language, um, mm. I will be able to hold my own, you know? 
um, and be able to speak, but it's not like something I grew yeah. up speaking. Okay. Yeah, I learned it on my I learned it on my own. No one ever really taught me. Um, and so it was just one of those things. It was just like I can hear it and understand it probably better than I can speak it. I think that's kind of where I'm at too. Like I, I didn't grow up with like anyone teaching me it, but I like took classes in school and my mom did like worksheets with me and stuff, but like mm-hmm. I never had practice like speaking it with anyone. So I think that was like always the biggest hurdle of like trying so hard to not like embarrass myself when I was speaking yeah. and then just like feeling all this pressure. But I, I feel like I understand so much and, yeah, I think that language is like such an interesting thing and it's such a big part of Latin culture where people are, especially like right now, people are like, no Salvo kid and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know. I think, I think that's not, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's like, we should be, we shouldn't be exclusionary and like, no, it's not stuff. cute to gatekeep the community. <laughs> yeah. It never has Nothing. been. Um, I always know as, because I, my father is Puerto Rican and like, I was most of the Puerto Rican kids that I know do not know how to speak Spanish. It's just a thing. And I just find that so funny. It's just yeah. like <laughs> you don't know it either. Me neither, man. Okay, we good here. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think it's like so funny because it's just like, okay, well, you're like judging me for not knowing how to do it, but then like there's millions of other people who also like are in the same boat as me. And it's also just like there's so many, especially in, in the U.S., where it's, like, there's different generations and people are, like, so-and-so far removed from the, like, mainland and stuff like that, where it's, it's like, it is a beautiful language, but it's also, like, you don't need to speak it to still identify with that culture. Um, but I also, like, I still want to learn it, you know? Like, I want to speak to my abuelita on my own and stuff, and I think it's a beautiful language, and why not learn it, but, like... You know, exactly. I saw something on TikTok the other day that was like, that was like, um, uh, for anyone who wants to hear this right now, like, if you don't speak Spanish, it's okay. If you go back far enough, none of our ancestors spoke Spanish. And I, that was oh, really, that's tea. I know that really hit me because I was like, yeah, guys, colonization really got us in a chokehold. <laughs> yeah, they got us in chains out here. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly i was like thank you i didn't need to hear that today <laughs> they didn't speak english either no no i know i know they did um so um so you talked about all your black and puerto rican so um did you grow up with a lot of puerto rican friends in school i know chicago is like a big hub for puerto rican culture as yeah. well so how did you feel growing up that that tied into your life? And is it different now that you're older and you have more agency and a little bit, you're, you, I, I would assume yeah. as well that you're a little bit more like uh, getting into your culture and seeing how that, what that means for you now. Yeah. So how has that really changed throughout the years? It's interesting. Um, For me, like when growing up, like I didn't meet my father until I was about four or five or so. Um, And so because of that, I kind of, really was unsure of that part of my identity for a while. Um, and also just visibly the way people perceive me, people don't um, automatically assume I'm Puerto Rican. People are just automatically assume I'm fully, you know, my blackness is what they see. And I have no problem with that. I mean, I am black, you know what I'm saying? So like, that's not a necessarily a thing I have an issue with. 
it's more so just the thing of just like when it comes to addressing my um latinidad or my the part of me that is puerto rican it's just like there's a big sense of erasure that's felt so i felt like for me um i've done a lot of my own discovery of who i of that side of myself because it's i have my own relationship with that side of my family that i'm is very much so its own thing but it's just like i've dived i've done a lot of my own research and done a lot of my own yeah. um discoveries on what it means to be puerto rican like where we come from or like you know and like what uh cultural practices we partake in um and i think what really connected me the most was spirit like just spirituality and the spiritual practices um like i really am fascinated and really deeply into santeria you know and like the orichas and like what they um have to say and like what they entail and so i think learning um and doing my own research and discovery about santeria and about the orishas and about um what each one means and who is you know who is worshipped in my family um i think that's really helped me connect to that portion of myself um because even the spanish i was learning it was like I picked up from listening, but I'm also, I was in high school learning it. So I'm learning very Spaniard conquistador es Spanish, you know, and that's not always fun, nor mm -hmm. is it necessarily, you know what I'm saying? It's not easy to talk to my family that way because words are different, yeah. phrases are different words. You know what I'm saying? They don't and speak so like, like that. Yeah, exactly. They don't speak like that at all. Yeah. Um, And so I was just like, I found it very, it was difficult for me, you know, to like really discover that piece of myself. But as I got older, it became easier because I felt like I found, I was able to find the tools and like know what I needed to do rather than just sitting in dazed and confused and not knowing, okay, where do I go from here? I know, I know the language a little bit, but where does this take me, you know? So. Yeah, I think it's really hard, especially, uh, with like immigrant families since people's culture is so tied to their families um and we don't always have the most uh linear relationship with our families especially with people who do have like families back in the mainland it's like well we don't connect on the same things and now i'm here and i'm kind of going through my own journey and i don't know how to how navigate that and i don't know if you feel this way because i i didn't really know what it meant to be Afro-Latino necessarily until later on. I didn't really see that as like a topic that people were talking about. It was like yeah. being black and being Latinx were like two things that could for some reason not be a thing together yeah. when that is yeah. like so not the case. Um, and so there's like a big erasure in that as well. So I think like being older helped me realize and then kind of find my place in that world a little bit more. Comple yeah. I, completely I think that, agree. I mean, at least as far as I know. Yeah, I feel like as far as I know, that, that like, talking point isn't, like, an issue in, like, Latin American countries themselves. I feel like that's more of a thing here in, like, the U.S. Where yes and no. Yeah, I, I, I mean, would see, like, I would say that there's a lot of, like, racism and colorism in Latin America, but yeah. I think also there's a big difference in between being African-American and then being, like, Afro-Latino. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like, 
you can be both. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No, I think that's what I'm trying to say is like at there at least they understand that like all of us come in like different shades. So just by looking at someone, I can't like make those kinds of assumptions where I feel like in the US they, yeah, they look at they look at someone black and they're like, You how could you be Latin American? Like that that, that, that's, that yeah. doesn't compute in that their doesn't heads. compute in their brains. Yeah. But I there is still obviously problems. It's really interesting to me too because it's too. like I've had this conversation with my dad a lot about like how the world perceives me. You know what I'm saying? It's like I go out when I go out into the world and people look at me, they're going to respond to me as a black person. They're going to respond to you as a as a person of color who's not black. You're going to be responded to as a Puerto Rican. And I think of I even think of like the conflict between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. You know what I'm saying? And like what was going on there where you have. Yes, we talk about this all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like you have them like kicking out Haitians and like wanting their death for many things because they're black. But you look at each other. It's like, Mm -hmm. hold on, wait a minute. We the same. We look the exact same. You know what I'm saying? And so. (laughs) Yeah, what are you talking about? (laughs) Exactly. And so it's like, it's always that conversation of just like, just people are going to look at me very differently you know when i walk into and it happens a lot with like mexican restaurants especially and this is no this is nothing against mex my you know i'm saying this is nothing against mexican people or anything anybody from there but like i walk into mexican restaurants and i order in spanish and they look at me funny you know what i'm saying they don't believe they're just like how do you what is going on how do you know this language what is this you know and they don't believe it so they're like yeah. question me be like where are you from where's your family from where's your dad from are you sure like, da, da, da. and i'm just like yes i just give me my freaking torta yeah. okay i want to go home <laughs> you know so can <laughs> i have yeah. my own tata yeah i leave <laughs> um you know what's really funny so my my family and i were going on a we're going on a trip and we were um going to spain well we were going to greece but we had a layover in spain in spanish um in the madrid airport i think it was um and we were there for a couple hours we were like okay i guess we'll just have lunch in this airport and there was a dominican girl there that worked at the restaurant we were eating at and i was like oh man i don't know her so i don't want to be weird but i was just like how is it living in spain yeah because there's always a part of me that's always wanted to go to spain i I love like just spanish culture i think it's very beautiful but also it's like the conquistador (laughs) culture you know so it's like damn (laughs) where it all began yeah where it all began (laughs) so i wanted to be like damn sis like how is it being a dominican woman like a black woman living in spain yeah like do they treat you differently like how is how does that work um i don't know i think it's like a very something that's that people don't really think about yeah um and, it, and like, since blackness is obviously the first thing people see when you walk in a room, it's no, there's that is what comes first. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like even my mom in identity, um, I would think. Yeah, she used to travel to Spain a lot. You know what I'm saying? And my mom is not. My mom is Zimbabwean fully. You know what I'm saying? She's not. She doesn't speak Spanish. She doesn't have any blood in her that has that language or that culture in her. But it's still that thing of like, she goes there. And people do look at her funny. People do talk to her funny. People assume a lot about her. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, dang, do I want to go to Spain? Yeah. But I do. But I'm also like, do I? 
you know it's that thing of just yeah. like <laughs> mapping out you yeah. know it's like the thing of like i have it's to map out what, exactly and i have to map out like my safety like okay if i go here where will i be what can happen because of my physical identity you know what i'm saying like and so it's just that thing of like it yeah it's such a nuanced conversation that i've always had because even in high school when when my spanish teachers would like talk to me and assume things about me when i told them i was puerto rican they were like oh you are and i'm like girl i don't just sound like this like yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i picked this up from somewhere yeah um, <laughs> So it's just that, yeah. yeah, it's like you said, Alex, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like, um, do you feel like you have to do that same kind of like pre-planning and like defense mode in Chicago? I feel like I want to know your point of view, like growing up in the city, because I grew up in Illinois, like outside of the city in the burbs. So that was a very different experience from I'm sure what you had because I was like in white suburbia and like one of the only people of color but like growing up in the city there's so much diversity here there's just so many people here like how do you feel that would be compared to like going to Spain or something I mean Chicago it's like <laughs> take your time my thing about my thing about Chicago is like it's one of the most diverse cities probably in the nation but it's also probably the most segregated you know um there's neighborhoods that my mom was always like okay maybe you shouldn't go here alone at this time you know like even when i go to like the puerto rican festival with my father like mm -hmm. latin kings you should surround me and be like what set you have you gd you gd i'm like no bro i'm looking for a funnel yeah. cakes you know what i'm saying but like yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> humble yeah. park or like hillson are like I've experienced anti-blackness in those next neck of the woods, which has broken my heart. But also, for when it comes to white people, it's like I go to um, like Bridgeport, like Bridge, you know what I'm saying. Bridgeport is a neighborhood that it's just like you don't people here know. It's like Bridgeport is not a neighborhood for you to just be walking around at some random time of night because those white people are there are racist and crazily racist you know what i'm saying um and like i think it's also too like the police system here and the way the police work we have one of the most militant forces of police in the nation you know like we are our police are trained with israel you know what i'm saying they're trained in israel so it's like when you have that type of militaristic police system and the whole police system is built on is reformed slave patrol, you know what I'm saying? It's like, then you have these neighborhoods, especially up North. Like I live up North and there's always police everywhere. They're hawking. But then you also go further South and they're really hawking. Cause they're just like, I'm bored. Let me arrest somebody. Let me take somebody. So I think growing up in this city, it's kind of just like a game of yeah. like, oh, this is a really diverse city, but it's like, okay, I'm in this neighborhood at this time. What's going on? Who do I see around me? And what's kind of happening in this space? You know, it's just, I think most of myself and my friends that I know from Chicago, wherever we go, we're super attentive and like head on a swivel all the time. 
um, just because of the environment we've grown up in and like understanding mm-hmm. like, okay, what's going on? Who is that? Why are they driving so slow? Why are they moving? So, cause it's like this city, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's also had its very deep, deep spans of violences um, and intense violences. Um, and so because of that, it's one of those things of just like, I'm survival mode always you know and it's a blessing and a curse but like i think growing up in the city i just understand the necessity for survival mode but also i wish that i didn't have to at all times you know yeah of course absolutely i think that was a really big culture shock to me because i i come from florida and that's a big big latinx community and i come from um orlando which is a huge tourist city. So I always Mm -hmm. saw so many different types of people and they're everywhere all the time. Like, yes, we do have our, of course, like little segregated neighborhoods, but it's nothing like here. And I knew that Chicago was such a diverse city, such a black city. um, Or, and I was so shocked when I came here and I moved to the loop and I saw like, just like black service workers and all of these white businessmen in the loop. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that was a real thing. It was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's insane to me that that's happening in like yeah. one of the most popular, diverse, biggest cities in the, in the nation and in the world. Really? Like yeah. it's wild. Um, yeah. And it's still happening. There's so many like, uh, I was looking at Logan Square the other day, and that's like gentrification station out there right now. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Oh, <laughs> it my is. God. Logan Square. It is. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, a shame. it's such a shame. It I makes know. me sick, that yeah. neighborhood. No, like... no offense to the Logan Square. Uh, no offense to the Logan Square uh, residents here. We love it there. The bars are cute. I will admit. For they sure. Got, but it's I got like inside. a little cute little ice cream the other day. Right, exactly. It's a cute little neighborhood. But at the same time, it's like mm-hmm. that used to be a neighborhood that I was scared to go in. And now I can just walk around there chilling. Like one yeah. of my best friends lives in one of my best friends lives in Logan. And it's like I walk around there with her all the time and she's black. You know what I'm saying? We walk around together and I'm just like, girl, what is this? What is going on? <laughs> like Yeah. It's, what it's, it's really insane. What happened to the original plot of the movie? Yeah, and it's it's kind it's interesting too because Logan Square is so close <laughs> to Humble, but yet like and people like white people want to gentrify Humble Park so bad, but the Puerto Ricans is not going. Like I've never like oh, they are. letting up, and they should. Y'all should fight, fight, fight. Them and Pilsen, they're fighting for their lives yeah. out there. Like, thank God, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I'm so great. I love it. Like, I'm just like, yes, rid of all the white people. Um, you know, that's my. <laughs> but it's also at the same time, it's just like I hate that. I despise seeing people fight for a home. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you live here. You've lived here all your life. And now people are walking in trying to take it as if it's been theirs this whole time just because money is involved. And that's, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, that's like my, um, my she lives in Florida now. Um, but my abuela used to live over there. Um, and one thing I love about Puerto Ricans too is they gonna always move to Florida. Um, like she used to be chilling in her little crib in Humboldt Park, and then all these white people just started coming in and raising the prices of things. 
and they couldn't afford it. Like my grandfather just had surgery and stuff. So it was just that thing of just like, they can't afford to live their lives, you know, just a daily life. And so not that they didn't want to move to Florida, but it's still just like at that point, it became like, we got to go. We can't afford to stay here no more. Um, and that pisses me clean off. Mm-hmm. So like. Yeah, fuck gentrification. It's the worst. <laughs> we hate it. For real. Yeah. For real. And it's a shame because there's all these like beautiful neighborhoods. It's like I, part of me is like, ah, I'm so mad at the way that the city is segregated. But then I'm also like, God, it's like now it's become such a part of the culture, such a part of the history that it's the only way that some of these communities can find peace is to stay in their neighborhood. They can't even do that either. Yeah. Like, where do you expect them to go then? It's wild. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's just insane yeah. that like it's not it's it's not about anything except money. It's literally just like some random person decided that I'm gonna come here now and oh I like this cute little place. I have like a six figure or more paying job and I'm just gonna like do whatever the hell I want and not think about like what consequences are gonna come from that. And that's just I it's so upsetting that it's that now people are so disregarding of the other people around them um that it, especially in a city where it's like you are surrounded by people all the time how do you not like have any regard for the people around you i mean think of, like i'm right i'm brown i'm a black girl and i walk around places like logan square pilsen humble park and even i'm like I wouldn't move here because I'm not from here and it feels weird for me to move here. Me not even being from Chicago. Like, it feels like I'm moving to someone's house. Yeah. So I can't imagine how the white people are feeling. They just, I think there's something in their brain that is just like, ah, they just don't get it or they don't, like, ignorance is bliss, really. They got rose-colored glasses on with those kinds of things. They're like, oh, look. Literally, it's the same thing for me that happened with, like, COVID. Like, White people love to spread disease. They love to take things over and they just love, you know what I'm saying? They just, they just, anything that will grant them power and higher class, they'll do. And like, without a thought of who's below them. And it's so deeply entrenched into the culture of this country that it's to the point of just like, white people, the way they walk down the street, you know what I'm saying? Like, they won't move out your way. You know what I'm saying? You hit, if they won't move out your way when you walk down the street. They won't, um, when you order food, it's like, they won't look you in your eyes. It's things like that. It's just like, white people in this country are so used to being in places of power and given power and expected to and assumed to have the power in every situation that because of that, that's how they move. That's how they take over spaces. That's how they walk into spaces that aren't theirs and claim it as such. And I want to throw up. <laughs> no, yes. it's true. And, uh, you know, I, I think that when all this stuff happened last summer with George Floyd and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, even though it had already been a movement for, for years, years and Black people have been enduring this since their history in this country, yeah. I think that this time it resonated so much with white people. They were so shell-shocked because 
they've never had to think about these things and it was when it was thrown in their face in the way that it was they were so shocked at the amount of privilege they had Mm -hmm. because we've been talking about white privilege for years now it's become such a hot topic in the media I think especially people are using it as propaganda now to this point Mm -hmm. and now I think white people are afraid to speak up in the sense that they're like oh now everything I say is going to be looked at under a microscope but it's because they weren't aware of the amount of white privilege they had and that was something that I had was kind of struggling with is that I was like why am I trying to or why do I feel like I have to make white friends of mine okay with how everything is going down and have to make sure but then I had to think to myself well they just really didn't know the amount yeah of privilege they had but even that I think like that's not an excuse. No, it's not. It's I, not. It's not. It's a reason. It's not an excuse. Yes, hundred yeah. percent. Like I don't think I don't think I ever thought. And I'm I'm half white, half Colombian. So like half of my family is white, and I grew up and went to Berbia. So like I've been around my share of them, and I I don't think I ever really had the expectation of them to like understand kind of this second world that people of color live in where we do have to always be on survival mode and we do always have to like scan the room make sure we're like walking on the right street make sure we're like safeguarding ourselves and careful what you're saying and all that kind of stuff and I I never expected them to get it or to understand like what that would be like because I think just from like a very young age I just never saw any of them in positions or in relationships with people that like that that would even be an option for them. Like it's just never come up for them. And I think why George Floyd was so powerful is because like they had no choice but to look. They there was no way that they could turn their heads to look away. And I don't know why that was like the thing that hit it off because so many times that had happened before where like we had seen video footage and we had seen pictures and heard like voice recordings and stuff so it's not like it was something that it was happening for the first time and I don't know I guess just like divine storm yeah I think people were also stuck in their houses yeah it was storm it was just like I guess divine timing like okay we're gonna have this conversation now but I never expect yeah exactly you don't have anything else going on so you have to pay attention and I never and it sounds it saddens me that I never like expected white people around me to uh, have that kind of understanding um I just always kind of knew that I had to be accommodating um for my own well-being you know um but yeah I mean but this is why we have to support things like kumba links like yeah um exactly black owned latino owned brown owned businesses because we deserve to be bougie too i want a bougie ice cream place in logan square that's black owned i want it i want it please talk about it let them know i want i would pay ten dollars for an ice cream bar that was like i don't know like has three sprinkles on it like i do i do i do want that bougie experience and i don't necessarily like you know what i mean we deserve that too. It doesn't always have to be such a struggle. Like, damn, we yes. deserve to enjoy our truth as well. Yeah. No, but that's real though. Like, it's so real about, and it's like, I I always find it interesting, especially coming from a place of like, you know, growing up with like some money insecurity. It's like, when I get to that point, it's like, 
oh, I have this. How do I, you know what I'm saying? How do I maintain this? How do I do this? But it's like, I don't, I, the way we've grown up, the way that country has kind of formed us into believing, it's like, dang, do I necessarily quote unquote deserve to spend this money on something I want? Do I need, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and of course I do. I know in my deepest brain that I do, but at the same time, it's still just like, damn, like this is a thought of mine now. And now I'm wondering like, do I do this? How do I do this? Do I need to help out? How do I take care of my people? Da, 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 da. And it's just like, dog, this is a very tiny, tiny check. I still got to buy groceries. I still got to buy this, 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 this. And the luxury part, it, you know what I'm saying? It feel that guilt, that like conditioning of being like, dang, I'm resting. Why? I feel guilty about it now. I don't feel good about resting because I feel like I need to be productive. I need to be working. I need to be taking care of something you know and like it's aggravating i think i think that is such a talking point in communities of color right now where it's like resting is self-care and like resting is a form of protest because and i i mean it is because we always have to be on guard and we always have to be hustling and we always have to be out here like doing whatever we can to like advance not even just ourselves but like the mindset is always like community it's always family it's never just like me 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 it's what am I gonna do in order to like help this person and this person and and where should I shop in order to help my community and and take these people with me and they're gonna take me on their journey too and and I just don't think that's like a part of white American culture because it's just it's not that wasn't the american dream the american dream was like i'm gonna get a job for myself i'm gonna provide for myself and my own family and i'm gonna buy my own house and not worry about anyone else it's very individualistic and i think as much as i and but that's what i do love about latinx culture is that it is so based around community and i feel like um aside from the anti-blackness that is part of latinx a lot of latinx culture i think that's why in in times of the past, the Latinx culture and the Black community have leaned on each other so well is because they both have that sense of community and that sense of family of, like, we're all coming up together, I'm helping us. But that also means that sometimes we have to look after ourselves and be yeah. like, no, you know what? I do deserve this, like, expensive thing. Yeah, I do deserve to, like, not do anything today yeah. or whatever it may be. And also, like, all of your successes don't always have to be about everyone. everyone yeah it, sometimes it can just be about taking care of yourself and it, <laughs> it has be. to be yeah otherwise like how are you gonna keep going on you can't you don't have like the willpower anymore i think that community this the thing about community too is like knowing when to take your rest because it's like if you showing up to the community unrested very tired with with the um inability to necessary I, I guess quote unquote fulfill your role because you know everybody has a role in the community every everybody has something they have to take care of in their own sense you know and it's just like if you're too tired to do that or if you're worn out or if you have a lot of other things to do it's not necessarily a problem you know what i'm saying um and so it's but it's just like i was i think a lot about like the protest last year and how everyone was like oh i can't be at the protest i can't be outside it makes me nervous you know but it's just like you know what I'm saying? Yes, people are getting arrested. Give them money for bail. Yes, let's get food out. Let's do this. Let's like everybody's got a role in this. You know what I'm saying? So it's like 
understanding that and understanding where you fit in if you're too tired to do one thing you know what i'm saying take care of yourself like understand that you of course come first if your body can't be put on the line don't put your body on the line that's not your responsibility you know but understand that of course in a community there's always a responsibility you know there's always people that need to be taken care of that's what community is for but it's like if you can't bring your full self to it you know then give yourself the space to rejuvenate so you can you know um so yeah totally and it's also like we're all like even though like communities have like a uniting factor about them everyone within that community has differences and they're all unique and like every person is different so like someone can feel like yes I'm gonna go to a protest and that's like how I'm gonna show up for people but some people might feel like anxiety around that or they just don't want to that is a big risk I mean it was like especially in Chicago last summer the police were disgustingly brutal with the city with the citizens of the city and it was like you were putting yourself in harm's way and some people were willing to take that risk because that's how they felt like they could show up best and some people were like no i'm gonna donate to the bills and i'm gonna donate to like i'm gonna hand out water bottles and yeah do what, do what you can yeah and it's like some people are you're not all built the same to do the same roles everyone has different roles or else nothing else would get done like we can't all just do the same thing absolutely i uh want to shift gears a little bit all right um uh, I want to ask you, what's your favorite part about being Latin American? Like, what, what, especially now that you are older and you've gone to do some more research and found that identity within yourself, and it's a lifelong journey. So, for right now, what's your favorite thing about being Latin American? Ooh, um, I hmm, okay, there's a lot. So, like, one materialistically, let's start there. <laughs> Food, I love to eat. Um, <laughs> there's just so many acapurrias, empanadas, <laughs> like all of that stuff, you know, um, and music, um, music is also one of my favorite things. I think music just for me in general is a big savior, you know, but like music in another language that speaks to a very different thing, but also sometimes the same thing and just listening to different forms like hearing congas hearing you know what i'm saying hearing drums hearing different instruments that come from especially from puerto rico because that's a lot of the music i listen to like hector lavo celia cruz like all of these people i just i adore them so much you know um and what else um i think pride pride is one of my favorite things uh, about it it's just like especially like i'm speaking very specifically to puerto ricans because of the history with the flag um and like in puerto rico and what that how people show up now you know um i think i just learned so much about my own self and how much i have prided myself in my own being through being puerto rican and through expressing that pride you know because it's just like to express that you have to be fully confident in yourself you know what i'm saying there's there's no doubt about the fact that, you know, my father, my mother, my abuela, all of them, they're all so confident in themselves because of the fact that they're Puerto Rican. And I think that that pride and that just overt, loud pride is one of my favorite things in the world to just see, like, 
when people drive down the highways, when the Puerto Rican Fest is coming up, when you just see flags on every car, like I love that so much. It's so fun to see. So I think pride, aside from food and music, it's definitely the pride for sure. Yeah, especially per- Puerto Rican pride is it runs so deep. I actually thing. saw a meme that was like, I want my significant other to show me off like the Puerto Rican flag. And I was like, <laughs> that is the tea. I was like, you know a Puerto Rican when you see one. I had a joke <laughs> with my friend about um, every time we see like a Puerto Rican or a Puerto Rican flag, we'll look at their body or their car and be like, okay, y'all where are they from and you because you can obviously see the flag on their body so we just be like all right y'all where are they from and you can it's just like okay and we just laugh because it's like they're it's always a puerto rican it's on their belt on their in their pocket on their car on their hat there's a tattoo my dad has the giant coqui on his neck you know what i'm saying like it's just like where are they from they're puerto rican <laughs> so yeah we're rican. um do you remember do you remember when we were doing La Habana, Tommy, the guy who played opposite me, he was also Puerto Rican. And he brought into our dressing rehearsals the like a full size Puerto Rican flag and hung it like oh in front of his ear. And I was like, I love it. I love As it. You should, so King. I love it. Should. Tommy As you should. Mikey. Oh my God. Um Tommy and Mikey were two of the most Puerto Rican yes. people I've ever met in my life. Like they just came in and they were I like, know. Yep. I- I'm Boricua. <laughs> Wepa, mira, 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 and just started talking. <laughs> it is such infectious energy, though, I must say. It just makes you happy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're funny. There's it something really about does. the Caribbean sense of humor, true. It, it rains all across the Caribbean. They're like the funniest people, yeah, and the most lively people. Um, I just saw okay, so the TikTok that I was mentioning. The, I just saw something about the Puerto Rican flag, actually, um, because I, I think all of us know that um, the Puerto Rican flag was, like, banned. Like, Puerto Ricans weren't allowed to show it. You could, like, be in prison for it and stuff. Um, but I think it was after it was allowed to come back. Um, the I don't know if it was the U.S. Or, or, like, something, some government official in Puerto Rico, but they changed the color blue. To like a more to like the United States flag blue oh. instead of the light blue that it is like now and what it originally was to make it more American. Interesting. And I thought that was like such a, an upsetting <laughs> and an interesting fact because it really is like there is there's so many subversive ways of people like trying to restrict your pride and your joy. And so even though they're like, okay, well, you get to have the flag back. But it's not how we last saw it. And it's still part of ours. And I think that's, it's just like so devious the way that white supremacy <laughs> is. It is. Devious. It no, is. you're right. Because it's just like, you can't, you can't just give it to them the way that it is. Like, that's their flag. It's not your flag. It's not up to you to decide how it should look, you know? Yeah. So it's just learning little facts like that about like, the, even the most minute ways that white supremacy has like infiltrated all of these different people and their cultures and stuff, it's it's just insane to see how active of a thing it is. It's tea. Yeah. Um, last, last question. question! <laughs> last question, which we kind of already touched on, but we ask all of our guests 
this because since our company is called Mi Latinidad, um, which means my Latinx identity, what does Mi Latinidad mean to you? you? I love this synchronicity with y'all too, by the way. Just have to say that before I answer this question. Um, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Besties for the rescue. Besties for the rescue. <laughs> um, ooh, Mi Latinidad, for me, I guess in the stage I'm in right now, this is going to be a long drawn out tree branch answer, but like in the stage that I'm in right now for myself, it's like, I guess it's almost like a constant exploration and discovery of myself, you know, um, and figuring out like just you know, where, um, God, this, okay. Mm. I guess, okay. I guess for me, me not thinking that it's just like filling in the holes of all my curiosities as a younger child, especially, you know, um, because there was a lot of my self-discovery came through high school, came in college. Um, and I didn't really understand what it meant to be, you know, Latinx or Latine in eighth grade and seventh grade. I didn't understand it. I didn't know. I was like, yeah, you speak Spanish, but okay, that's fine. Like I don't speak Spanish, so I'm not, I'm not Puerto Rican. I can't be, you know, I don't know how to dance salsa and well, I do now, but like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? But like, I didn't know a lot of these things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so because of that, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I was Puerto Rican. I didn't feel like I could be at the party with my family or I could be at the Puerto Rican festival because I didn't know these things, because I didn't know how to dance or speak Spanish or um, necessarily what even Acapurria was or anything of that nature. You know what I'm saying? I just had zero idea of, what it meant fully and how that lived in me um and so i guess now it's just yeah. like i it's like an exploration and a reclamation almost of like yes this is who i am this is how i identify i am this but i'm also this and i these two coexist you know i'm not i can't be one without the other and so um it's really just like for me just a reclaiming of myself, um, a new way of a new way of understanding and loving my family, um, a new way of understanding and loving um, just the way culture has spread, you know, because a lot of things come from Africa, but like, how it spread from Africa and like, what remained, what changed, what was what the you know what I'm saying? And just understanding that both of my families sure yes my father's family comes from puerto rico but at the end of the day the dainos came from africa so like these same i come from very like the same but different places you know um but where they were just white people conquered them in very different ways so it's just like understanding and reclaiming and exploring who i am and what i know about myself and honestly my self-esteem like it's really helped me feel better about who I am and feel better about myself in spaces because I, 
I can answer questions and I know um, so much more about who I am because I know so much more about, you know, my Boricua side. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, I know we did like a great at the same time last question, but I have one more question. What the hell? I know, I ruined it. I'm so sorry. What is it? Spit it out. It better be good. Oh, well, I want to talk about machismo because where the four of us are cishet women, so like we. And also, like, all all of us have a lot of women in our, Latin women in our own families. So I want to hear, like, your feelings on being a man in this culture. And then also, like, how, what experiences have you had with machismo and, and stuff like that? Like, what are your feelings on Yeah, it? especially as a black man. Yeah, because, I, I mean, it's so intricate. Yeah, um... It's interesting. Machismo is such an interesting conversation to me because that's kind of where my father and I's relationship kind of splits um, because I grew up around women. Like my mother's side, I I'm, I grew up in a matriarchal home. Um, and like, I just, I that's what I know. That's what I understand. Um, and even on my dad's side, there's a lot of women on that side. And that's, you know what I'm saying? And so like, that's just what I grew up around. That's what I know. That's who I, you know, usually go to for authority. That's who I go to for confidants. Like, um, and my dad is a very machismo, typical, you know what I'm saying, masculine, toxic to a certain degree man, you know? And I think that's kind of where we've separated um, because that's not who I am. I'm really rebellious against that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm I've always been like, no, 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 no. Who, let's listen to the woman in the room because she knows what she's talking about. Like, she's not going to go for the power because that's what I've been raised in, um, you know? And, like, I think it's always been a thing for me of just, like, I understand it, but there's also a piece of me that has had to not necessarily embrace machismo, but, and, and that's, but, like, really understand it to the point of how it fits in me you know what i'm saying like yes i am a man i am a cis hetero man so i have there's things that you know what i'm saying that i know are inevitable in my life path because of that and um i think knowing that and knowing how the machismo has strained the relationship between my father and i it's kind of similar to me latinidad it's an exploration i guess of just like um where um, am I learning to, you know what I'm saying? Where have I, I've learned, I guess I'll say it like this. I've learned how to be a man from women. You know what I'm saying? And I think because of that, um, I am, I have a hard time with it because I'm just like, no, that's, that's not, I don't like that. I don't like how you're behaving. I don't like that you are using your masculinity, your manhood as a sense of power over me. You know what I'm saying? That's never been my thing. That's never something I've enjoyed. Um, that's always something I've rebelled against. Um, and so I have a, it's interesting, you know, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a super like, yeah, I'm a man. I'm not that type of dude. You know what I'm saying? I'm really, really soft hearted and really super vulnerable and like, yeah you know, that's just kind of, that's just who I am. And that doesn't make me any less of a man. That doesn't make me any less, you know, strong or masculine. You know what I'm saying? That just, it's, 
I was just raised in a household that's like tend to your feelings, tend to what you tend to your emotions, understand what you feel. And I don't think that's not, it's not a problem. I mean, it can be at times, but it's never been a thing of like, I blame my father for it, but it's like, that's how he was raised. It's like, you're a man. These are things you have to understand. You don't cry in my house. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't. And that's kind of how he used to talk to me. And I'm just like, that's not how I rock, bro. I'm finna cry. One thing about me, one thing about Victor Masoni is I'm gonna cry. Um, and so like, and so it's it's just that kind of thing of like, yeah, you know, it's I've had a battle with it for a lot of my life, but I've come to understand it and where it comes from, and not necessarily look at it as something that is um, a blame thing, you know. So totally, I think. I think I've also been on that journey too because like I haven't necessarily grown up around a lot of machismo because I didn't grow up around a lot of like Latin men but um but like the women in my family did so like hearing stories from them about their experiences with that I think having that distance I always got I think I got like the privilege at least to kind of view it with um with just understanding where it comes from and like why the culture is what it is without having to experience any of the kind of like oppression that women experience from that. So it wasn't like, Oh, I feel this way. And like, I hate this thing and these specific people because they treat me like this because of so-and-so, but I get to understand like the, the underpinnings of like, why is this the case? And, like, what are the things in, like, the societies where this is so prevalent that, like, make it the case? And it's very interesting to me. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's such a refreshing answer, honestly, Victor. And I think you've really shown that you are so honest with yourself and um, the way you present yourself as well. I think it's important for Latin men to really take that into account, especially now. And being the ones raised in the states i'm like let's we can take the weights off a little bit yeah. and um start treating each other as equals and i agree i, I also didn't grow up a lot of around a lot of men um but the men in my family it just feels like they have to follow this role when yeah. it's no longer the case like it is 2021 we can just like chill a little bit like yeah. it's all right guys yeah but it's like they don't it's like they don't yeah. know how to do anything else they haven't been allowed to do anything else so that's where we yeah and it's like machismo is also bad for men. Like it's also like no, yeah, it's not good for anybody. No, it's not because it's like you should be. You're a human being. You should be allowed to cry if you need to cry. You should be allowed to like be upset without having all of this like violence surrounding that anger. You know, and like you should be able to just be a human being and let that be enough instead of like all of these gender roles of like oh, well, I can't allow myself to feel this way or whatever so that no one views me in a different light because of so-and-so. Yeah, like, that's also not good for them. <laughs> Period. Literally. It's not like, good just for go anyone. to therapy, bro. Just so. go to therapy. Exactly. Go to therapy <laughs> in general. And I think just, like, feeling those emotions, like, and being vulnerable, I think that is very strong. I think anyone who yeah. like is t- taking uh taking stock of like their emotions and the like their thoughts and all of that their feelings on things that's very brave that's like a very courageous act to do to take care of yourself in that way absolutely so, yeah 
Well, Victor, <laughs> we love you. Welcome to the Milatidad fam. Yes. Welcome to the Sobremesa fam. You're always welcome at our table. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, like we said, check out Victor's projects that are coming out soon. Yes. We will leave links to those once you give us links to those. <laughs> and we can shoot you out and uh, hype you up. Yes. Where can people find you so that they know where to follow your beautiful face? Um. Okay, so I'm on Instagram at at Vic, M-E-N-S-O-N-I underscore, Vic Mensoni underscore. Twitter um, at 10, T-E-N-F-L-Y underscore. Um, hype his stuff up. <laughs> um, like, as always, you guys can follow us at Milatinidad on Instagram, on Facebook, milatinidad.org. Viv Uribe on Instagram. Alex wrote on Instagram. Actually, Alex wrote on everything. I got, no one has my name. <laughs> there you go. Thank I God. don't know how that happened. I didn't, well. But no one has her name. So no uh, until name. next time, Victor, once again, we love you. Thank you so Welcome much to the fam. for being here. I love Thank you so much. Thank y'all so much. Mwah. I love y'all. This has been a Mi Latinidad podcast. For video of today's episode, visit our YouTube channel, Mi Latinidad.